welcome to the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Emma Harris. I'm Luisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. Today we're talking to Katja Herzog and Jans-Peter von Gries. And these are two researchers who are doing something very practical, open science. Something we haven't talked about yet on the podcast. Yeah, it's very exciting. And we wanted to find out uh, more about it. And it's based at the MDC. So it was lovely that they could come in and talk to us. Exactly, and the project is called EU Open Screen. So what it is and what it does, uh, well, let's find out. So you're running the screening platform here at the MDC, or in MDC and FMP. Mm-hmm. It's a joint project, but now EU Open Screen is a much larger infrastructure. So what was the steps that led to it and what does the word open mean in it? Okay, this is rather simple. So in the beginning, in this company, in the startup I was working, uh, we realized that cooperation with pharmaceutical industry are a one-way road because you put in all your knowledge and you get nothing back. And so we decided, uh, because this is not uh, really overwhelming as an output, to set up an academic platform to provide open access to, towards uh, research projects, access to high-throughput screening, drug libraries, and to identify compounds which interfere with uh, diseases. And uh, in the first instance, not for drug development, but to identify tools which can be used in uh, academic research to unravel molecular mechanisms of disease and development, not so healthy development and disease. And now- Uh, We are in the implementation phase, um, basically meaning that we are procuring all the equipment that we need, the compound library, and then setting up all the operations at the central hub and um, the central compound management facility. Which is... Which is here? In Berlin, yeah, in Germany. Basically, you are setting up an infrastructure which Mm -hmm. is um, shared by several European countries, right? Exactly. So you have colleagues in... So, so there's a broader network of people mm-hmm. who are interacting it, but the people that signed for signed up for the ERIC, these are eight countries at the moment. So it's Germany as a host country. Then there's uh, Finland, Norway, Czech Republic, uh, Poland, Spain, and um, Latvia, um, which are the member countries right now. And so, so they own all the assets of the ERIC. Okay, and so basically the people you work with, there are other screening facilities in other countries. Exactly. Academic screening facilities. Okay, and you basically agree to share your reagents as in libraries? So, okay. so, so first we need to define who is a partner site, and they're mm-hmm. nominated by the countries themselves, by the ministries. And then once they have the EU Open Screen Partner Site stamp, they're allowed to get our compound library of 100,000 to 140,000 compounds. So what is really a central feature of this uh, network is that we share a library, we collect data in all the facilities uh, throughout Europe, and we feed a database which is shared. And uh, in in contrast to other networks, uh, European-funded networks, we share also the outcomes. So academic scientists will have uh, access towards this database. So after 
translation or patent writing and uh, a certain time of uh, protection the all the data all the screening data will published will be published in a database and then you can for instance if you if you have an idea about a cancer model and uh, you have a cell line you have screened there and you identify drugs which interfere or kill this cancer and then you can look under the database and you find which enzymes are responding to, to the drugs you identified then you already have the target so this is the added value and you can also uh, look into the raw data and the images from screening if you have high content screening and if you have an idea you can re-evaluate this data so this is in complete contrast to existing uh, structures or to pharmaceutical industry where every company tries to hide and to protect its uh, secret uh, valuable information so and this is some something like a treasure treasure chest so everybody has access to and this is a complete difference to all other existing data uh, databases yeah. but everybody as in really everybody so uh, not only the the uh, consortium members but like really like I, w I would ask I, I would be able to access it right I'm okay mm. I'm working here so maybe but like everybody but also the pharmaceutical industry then as well right because it's publicly accessible or Yes, so the industry users, they would need to have a login, just as everybody else, to access into, get access to this database, and then they need to have agreements with us on the usage of this data. Okay, but any scientist working in whatever, like working in US now, uh, still could um, exactly. access it for free? Yeah. Okay. Well, like Cam and Campbell. So like in other databases, so maybe my comment was a bit a little bit misleading. So there are of course other databases, the Kebble database and the PubCam, and these are also public. So everybody from Germany, wherever, can access this data, and we want to do it in the same way. We basically want to really give access to a wide range of users. And these users might not all be um, extensively familiar with uh, large amounts of screening campaigns. So the idea is really to help the user to get robust essays. And of course, this requires time. And therefore, we also provide um, uh, um, the possibility for the user to come to these partner sites and, for instance, implement the essay adaption together with the scientists from the partner site. Um, together, of course, with other training programs, which we are currently setting up um, in the field of high-throughput screening, essay adaption, medicine and chemistry optimization, stuff like this. And then another um, challenge, I guess, is to really convince users or scientists to make their data available. Because if you work on an essay for a long time and you want to, I don't know, develop a drug at one point, you might need a long way until then, and then maybe three years is not enough. But then you should also see the benefit that you get from it, meaning that you can use this compound collection, for instance. And of course, you need to pay a compound replenishment fee, but um, you basically only pay the consumables. You do not pay for the compound uh, facility at your open screen. You do not pay for the central hub uh, overhead, which also helps you to write grant to get more funding for your project. And um, yeah, you basically also don't pay for any compound shipment, etc. So what you pay is really just just still uh, um, an extensive amount of money, but you pay for the work which is actually done at the partner site. But everything that comes from the ERIC is completely for free. So also the advice on where you should go with your essay, which part of the partner sites is the most suitable one for your product. And we want to set up standards, European standards for essay quality, so that in the end, Really, the projects are coming out with real, uh, yeah, robust data, 
And this is also a gap between the translation from academia to industry, that often industry cannot reproduce uh, the output, and then they waste money. And uh, we are setting up standards which will prevent that. But I can say from over 300 projects we served here, co-financed by the Max Delbrück Center and the Leibniz Institute for Molecular Pharmacology and also the Helmholtz Center in Braunschweig, that we have a really nice output where, so for instance, we have a sub-library of FDA-approved drugs. And I heard yesterday in a BIH meeting from a Charité group that they are identified in our a very small library of only 3,300 uh, FDA-approved drugs. They selected 150, identified about six, which act on a rare disease in a cell culture system. And they had in the clinic, they had a patient who was nearly dying. He was in intensive care. He had this rare disease. They identified the mutation. So his brain was not working uh, really uh, okay. He could not move his arms and uh, his heart ha had still um, activity of 45%. And from our output of the data, they treated with an FDA-approved drug. And now they showed us yesterday a film of this uh, young man of about, I think, 17 years. He is happy he will, will be able to go to school in, uh, again. His heart has an activity of 60%. He, uh, he, you can talk with him. He can move his arms. He can move on his own. And this is um, the rare disease affects the function of mitochondria. So, you know, you get the mitochondria from your mother. And the mother didn't have any phenotype of a disease, but she had this mutation in part of the mitochondria. And he had a large portion of this mitochondria, which were defect for ATP production. And this drug, we know which target it addresses. And um, so... This patient who would have a perspective to die, he survived and he can go to school again. And so this is really from bench to bedside. This really shows mm -hmm. that from academia, there's really a chance to help people in the clinics wow. directly. That's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. It's such a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about translation, um, or actually what, where I would want to go now is uh, knowledge transfer. So do you have any outreach activities planned as well where you target? I mean, is this something, because it sounds for me, you know, many people, they take whatever, vitamin supplements or whatever drugs um, and have like, you know, just very partial information on what it actually does. Usually these are things that promise to do everything at once and so on. But, I mean, I'm just imagining that such a precise and open database would also provide an enormous resource for people to find out, okay, so if this is in my, whatever, supplement or yeah, even drug as in the side effects, uh, you know, um, that you could check in the database, okay, what does it actually, does it actually do something or has it done before in any other screens or... Yeah. Is this something you've been like contemplating at all or is it just uh, different levels of uh, usage, so to say, which are not uh, compar uh, compatible? So I think right now the, the database is structured as such that you can, for instance, search for a compound and then see in which screening campaigns it was involved and then you see the primary screening data from it. I'm not sure if as a non-scientist you might be able to read that and it's not for now at least practically meant for uh, a non-scientist to find whatever uh, uh, 
a nutrient supply in there. I was just thinking because um, several pharmaceutical companies, they're now screening, I mean, they're looking for natural uh, products. Uh, products, right? Um, so they're doing the screens uh, with, I don't know, just, it's old, but curcuma. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so I wonder where this information is already in your database as well, and yeah, whether normal people, as in lay people, um, would be able to look for something like that there. So, so natural products in general, we don't screen at the moment, but we are in uh, negotiations um, to maybe include more screening centers which can actually screen for natural products, and then potentially they could be at one point also in the database. So the jointly financed uh, platform of Max Delbrück Center and uh, the Leibniz Institute, so we have more than 20,000 natural products from analytical discovery in our library, and we have also um, designed, we designed our library according to an analysis of the World Drug Index. And in the World Drug Index, which corresponds to FDA-approved drugs, there's a, a, a big uh, representation of uh, drugs which are derived from natural products. And we had uh, a look on um, uh, substructures which occur frequently in different drugs, so the scaffolds, the core scaffolds. And then we looked uh, for commercial providers of these scaffolds and uh, their modifications. And then we identified several providers and started with a small sum of money, so 150,000 euro. Now we have a library of 3 million of euro and 70,000 compounds. And I think there's an overrepresentation of natural products according to the concept we have used. But we are also collecting, and eOpenScreen does it in the same way, we are also collecting compounds from academic chemists who are donating their compounds. And then we are making the linkage to their postdocs. So we hide the structures if this is a hit. And the project has to contact the chemist who donated. And if he is willing to cooperate with this uh, project head, then they are cooperating. And this is something like an interface. So we are only in between and we don't mix up. We um, provide only the bridge, the contact towards uh, chemists. And I think this is really the thing which is nice because both sides, they are, have a profit from this. The chemist knows about biological activities of his uh, structures and the, uh, the biologist, he gets the structures and then the, many times the, chemists, uh, the, the, the chemist who has uh, synthesized this compound is still in the lab and then they can really do uh, lead structure characterization and learn something about molecular recognition which is also very important in context uh, of how biological systems are working and how specific they are. Kind of what your plans for the next few years are? I mean, wh where's the project going? Where's the um, EU open screen going to be in 2025? So, um, of course, one important thing is that we want to further extend the ERIC operations and management. So this also includes getting more countries on board, meaning more partner sites eventually. And then um, this, of course, also extends to um, more services, so not only limiting it to screening and medicinal chemistry, but then also going to chemoproteomics and fragment screening, for instance, and of course improving then the data transfer from these partner sites to the, our database, um, making the data more fair, so findable, interoperable, accessible and reproducible. And there we also link to different European initiatives. For instance, the EOSC Open uh, Science Cloud right. development, we are also actively involved um, with some of the partner sites. And um, we also want to um, extend our services to industry. 
so that we get more industry users um, using EU open screen services. And in this context with industry, we also want to further develop no, um, new um, screening technologies. So this is all under the umbrella of this DRIVE project, and uh, we hope to, to get more steps in this direction. Cool. So my com comment on the perspectives is that in, in, in the very beginning we wanted to provide open access to academia to high throughput uh, tools, uh, so meaning robotic systems enabling for high throughput screening and also conversion of image data towards parameter tables and enabling for really uh, robust high throughput screens. And this open access means also that we do not touch the IP, the intellectual property. So if these uh, academic, and this is my own experience, if these academic projects need uh, industry support, then often the industry wants um, protection, no publication of data. And if a postdoc has an excellent project uh, in cancer or development and he cannot publish the data, then he ruins his career. And this we want really exactly to contradict. So really we want to provide open access to leave the intellectual property to the project, not touching it only because we have the Ferraris and uh, uh, rockets uh, there to enable for doing this. And uh, so, and what we also want, we want to set up European standards. So we realized that the last 10 years in nearly every European country, they have set up their own platforms and they are inventing in parts of the wheel on their own. And I think in this academic network, we can share uh, infrastructure uh, setups and we can define common standards. And this uh, makes uh, support more effective. And I think what is also a target um, to provide this open access on a low cost so that uh, projects from countries which ha do not have uh, really big budgets, that they are not limited in uh, using these technologies. to learn about a, um, a more practical side of open science uh, being applied to this project. Uh, yeah, I think this is the very first, I mean, for me, this is like the first really tangible open data kind of project that I've uh, came in contact with. Um, yeah, where I kind of like really see how it's really, really useful. Yeah. Um, so um, it's cool. I mean, it's cool that it's happening. And those screenings, I mean, it costs a lot of money, really. So it's really not for every researcher. So mm. it's it's cool it's happening. And what I also find really good, um, I mean, basically over the years, uh, well, it's not a recent phenomenon, but it's been happening for happening for quite a while now that uh, basically most of the preclinical research has been has been done more and more at universities and research institutions. And of course, the screening unit is like the very first uh, step to really drug discovery. Uh, and now being in actually public hand, um, it's good. I think it's a very good development. Mm. Is um, that a movement towards what you might call like open pharma, open source pharma? Um, so away from private pharmaceutical companies, discovering drugs and more towards publicly funded? Well, I, I, I still think that, uh, and I'm not an expert in this area, just a disclaimer, but I still think that basically developing drug takes just much more than just discovering. But um, of course, the last steps have to be taken up by professional 
yeah, well, pharma drug discovery companies, mm-hmm. but just this possibility for researchers to to discover compounds that are active towards whatever they're studying or, um, yeah, just be able to do that. Or the example of the of the kid that, uh, right. the child that didn't die, uh, it's fantastic that it can happen. So it's like genetic sequencing, you know, it's like there are also there are so many examples now of people who basically got treatment because now the university sequenced the genome as a effort to to make a proper diagnosis on some enigmatic disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this kind of the same, for me, this kind of the same topic. Of course, uh, screening is just so much more expensive. Mm-hmm. and those Much more expensive than sequencing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, right. uh, I mean, those compounds are like really valuable and um, just the collections are super, like it's, it's valuable things, <laughs> valuable resources and... Um, not easily shared neither. So, so no, to it, have this collection of countries yeah, exactly. all pooling the resources exactly. is, is a very good use of public money and research oh, yeah. effort. Totally, totally. Just really good efforts towards open science. And it's really nice that it's, it's kind of based with us. That's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening and tune in in uh, two weeks again. The music was composed and produced by Fabio de Miguel. Our sound editing is done by Paula Oliveira. And this uh, podcast was brought to you by the Orion Open Science Project, which is an EU-funded project. You can follow us on Twitter at OOSP underscore OrionPod. Uh, please like us, follow us, message us, whatever you feel like. You can also email us at orion at mdc-berlin.de. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. Bye. Bye.